Kia ora koutou, uh, ko Wilson Isaac Tabu Ingoa, uh, ko au te uh, kai whakawā matua o te kōti whenua Māori, uh, i te taho o tōku whaia, ko hikurangi te maunga, ko waiopu te awa, uh, ko pā kirikiri me iri te kura o ngā marae, uh, ko ngāti parau te iwi, uh, i te taho o tōku pāpā, Ko matakuhia ngā maunga, ko ruaki turi i te awa, ko ira peti te marae, ko ngāti kahungunu me tū hoi ngā iwi. Nō reira, kia ora koutou. Tēnā koe. Now, when you were going through law school at Otago University during the 1970s, was it a goal of yours to serve on the bench? Not at all. Um, when I... Uh, first went down to Otago, it was really, I was quite young, I was only 17 when I started university and um, it was really an opportunity for me to visit the South Island and to see what it had to offer. Uh, My sister was going through university at the time so um, I thought it was a good opportunity for me to have uh, that older sibling there to look after me. You went to primary school at Waimana, which is a little rural community yep. in the Eastern Bay of Plenty. Yes. And then you went on to St Paul's Collegiate. And I'm guessing at that stage, I mean, for people who wouldn't know, St Paul's Collegiate is the equivalent to Whanganui Collegiate. It's Well, I guess it's a, a smaller version of Whanganui Collegiate, um, smaller version of King's and Christ College. Uh, but mum and dad um, considered that we needed a, I guess, a good education, and they had a few concerns about the, as I understood it at that time, about the local schools. Uh, my sister, she went through uh, Northland College and um, or Portiki College, and she was moved out of Northland College in her fifth form year, uh, which probably um, didn't suit her at all. Um, so they wanted. Uh, myself and my brother to have a stable education in a secondary school. So were Māori boarding schools not going to be the thing for you? Well, I I don't know. I didn't have a choice. Mm. Um, I didn't want to leave Waimana. (laughs) But anyway, I went to St Paul's and and, uh, ended up enjoying it. But um, probably spent a lot more time on the sports fields than I did in the class, Um, which is what I did at university as well. Um, yeah. So from St Paul's Collegiate, was it just the norm to assume that you would end up going to law school at Otago? No, I, I went down to um, Otago to do arts. I wanted to be a teacher. And like your parents? Like my parents, yeah. And my goal was to um, to complete a, an arts degree and then do a post-grade course in, in teaching. Uh, and in the holidays leading up to that post-grade course... Uh, how old was I? 20. I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was wanting to go out into the workforce quite so soon, so I went back to university and did law. Um, and and it went from there. Uh, so did you end up acquiring a real love? Of the law? Of the law. Probably, I wouldn't say a real love of the law. I enjoyed certain aspects of the law. Um, there was no Māori land law no, at that time in Otago. I really love family law, 
And um, my lecturer in family law at the time is um, Justice Bruce Robertson. And I see I see him relatively often now, and he always says something along the lines that <laughs> if I'd have come to more class, I would have done quite well. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we have a joke about that. Um, but I, I really enjoyed family law, and, and as a result, when I... I started in practice in Gisborne. I, I concentrated in Māori land law and family law, and um, they were the two biggest parts of my practice. So, I mean, working within the legal system, and then, so that's on one hand, and then on the other hand, I'm just thinking about my own experience of you have that, and then on the other hand, you have whānau who tell you stories about the impact that that legal system has had upon their lives and generationally, and you were based in your own rohe mm. during your practice. So, I mean, how did how do you manage that? Looking back on it, I I think my my background, um, my father's people, my mother's people, and and the values that I had installed in me from very young um, worked well uh, for my legal practice. Um, Many of those values I took into my practice in terms of my Māori land law clients and also my family law clients. In 1988, I was appointed as counsel for the child in Gisborne. Um, I was the first Māori appointed as counsel for the child in Gisborne. And um, all of my families, all of my children were all Māori. Mm. Uh, so I had absolutely no difficulty in relating with them and, and I, I think, assisting them uh, and explaining in terms that I understood and they understood to the court where their, their problems were all going and hopefully trying to arrive at a, a solution which assisted, in the first instance, the child, but it also assisted the wider families as well. Uh, and, and similarly with, um, with my Māori land practice, uh, I was brought up knowing... Um, Māori land very closely, both in the field and also um, as a member of trusts and incorporations. Uh, so, and that came from my father, largely from my father's side. So I was able to take that experience and those values straight into practice um, and really able to, I think, to, um, to talk and to gain the confidence of my clients, not only from a legal sense, but also from a practical sense of knowing something about cows, something about sheep, you know, being able to, I suppose, talk the farming talk. Mm. Um, and and I spent a lot of time with um, with many of the people I acted for in, in a social sense and out hunting um, on, on their lands and, and working with them, you know, helping them with their horses and things like that. Um, which has always been very close to me and very dear to me, which is something I learned um, in the Waimana. Now, so as counsel for the child, your, ma- your 
Māori land court experiences, have you been able to see relations, uh, connections between loss of whenua to the way that another generation has acted out as a result of that? Or uh, simply colonisation and the impacts of that generationally? Uh, yes, yes and no. Um, I'll, talk, I'll talk about the no first. Um, my father's family, many of them, and their wider whānau, many of them didn't lose their lands. Um, a lot of their lands are still intact uh, and they're still farming them. They've never left their control and those lands are all right on the edge of the Urawera. Um a number of stations up there, um, Papuni Station, Tahora, um, mm. Tahora Tusi One, mm. which is Tahora. Waimaha, Marewa, Huia Blocks, they, they've always been in, in our control and have never left. Um, so I guess there was never that feeling that anyone had ever taken these from us and and, and from my father's side, they always appeared to be the control of their own destinies. Um, in relation to to working with um, with not so privileged families in, in in the family my family court work, uh, there was a lot of sadness, which had come from uh, urbanisation, um, possibly from colonisation, because in the Gisborne area, maybe a little different, but. Um, a lot of the families had come from the coast uh, down to Gisborne. A lot of the families had come from inland, from Waikare Mona, from uh, up in the back of Wairo, and had come to settle in Gisborne. Um, and a lot of those families were outside their comfort zones and and seeking seeking something. Um, and, and it may well have you know come from the. Um, colonisation um, not a lot of land loss in, in those areas that I have been that I have been dealing with um, because as you will know um, at least 15% now of Te Tairawhiti is Māori owned in terms mm. of Māori land um, so there, there is still a lot I mean we, we, a lot has been sold off um, but there is still a lot of land in that area which is in Māori ownership and control. Um, however, in saying that, there is a lot of that land which is underdeveloped. And and, and, and the peoples don't necessarily have the resource no. to develop them. No, well, that's right. And, and you know, one of um, my aims or my goals, and it always has been, is to is to work with those people to have the court being used as a forum to assist um, Māori achieve their aspirations. Uh, and that's that's what I like the court being there for. Um, yeah, um, Section 17 of, of Te Ture Whenua sets out a number of the objectives of the court and, and a lot of that looks at assisting, helping... Uh, Māori through any any problems and, and trying to arrive at practical solutions. Um, so hopefully things will get better, and, and that's what we're working on. You know, I'd like to work closely with Te Puni Kōkiri, uh in helping Māori achieve 
their goals and, and aspirations for their land. You know, because a lot of my childhood was spent with my nannies on both of my side mm. being dragged along to the Māori Land Court <laughs> to listen to hearings of yep. things that I didn't really understand, but also to research papers as well. Yep. And then even now as an adult, and we've been going through the um, Te Uruwera mm. claim mm. and hearing incidences of how... the Māori Land Court wasn't necessarily, it may have been created to do one particular thing, mm. but it ended up doing quite another thing yep. towards towards the people. So there is that degree of um, negativity. Yes, no, I, I don't, um, I certainly don't doubt that at all. It, it certainly exists, it, it existed in the earlier years. The court was set up um, as a device to individualise titles so that Māori land could be sold. Mm. Um, to settlers. It was there, and I think it was described by David Williams as um, Te Koti Tango Whenua, the mm. land-taking court, you know. Um, but it gradually moved uh, to a court which looks at retention of Māori land um, for the owners, their whānau and their hapu. So it's retention, utilisation, development. And... Um, and and that's really the kopapa of where our court is now going. Um, so major major shift, and um, and absolutely no doubt in my mind that all all the judges of our court uh, look to those principles of the act um, as paramount in, in their thinking when they deal with with land issues. No. As the Chief Judge of the Māori Land Court, the role's also synonymous with Chairperson of the Tribunal, Waitangi Tribunal. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about synonymous, <laughs> synonymous, but I was appointed as, as um, Chief Judge of the Māori Land Court, I think on the 13th of September of this year. And shortly after that, I was appointed as the um, Chairperson of the Tribunal. In essence, whilst we work largely with the, the same people, and judges of the Māori Land Court are more often than not presiding officers of the tribunal, uh, the roles are quite distinct. OK, so how are mm. they distinct? In essence, the um, the role of the chairperson of the tribunal is to, is to lead um, a truth and reconciliation commission um, and to lead a, a, an independent commission of inquiry to deal with claims of Māori against the Crown. Um, so, in, as distinct from the Māori Land Court, when largely it's Māori v Māori, or Māori themselves attempting to utilise their land. Um, and in my role, I guess, as, as chairperson of the tribunal, um, that role is, is for a five-year tenure. Again, as distinct from my role as Chief Judge of the Māori Land Court, which is uh, until I... Forever and ever. <laughs> forever and ever. Um, Even when you retire, I, you'll still be... People will still know yeah. oh, this Chief Judge. <laughs> um, but it's for five-year tenure, which, which actually falls in fairly neatly with um, the government's aspiration to conclude all settlement with Māori in um, 2014. Um, so, so that's you know that's quite a neat fit, and um, at the present time, 
uh, as as a tribunal and what I'm now coming up to speed with because in the past I have um, I have not had too much to do with the tribunal other than preside in, in a number of um, inquiries um, but I'm, I'm quickly coming up to speed with uh, what is required and, and the focus of the tribunal um, which really is to, to complete um, four inquiries which are at present in report writing stage so we have Tildewetta claim, the Wairarapa claim, uh, the Flora Fauna claim, mm. claim Y262, uh, and the National Park inquiry. So they're all significantly juicy claims. Yep, they are. And and we're in report writing mode on those claims. Mm. Uh, we're also um, hearing at present the Wanganui claim. And then there are some claims in preparation, uh, the Northland claim, the East Coast claim, and Taihapi Ki Kapiti claim. Uh, so those claims are the last of the district inquiries. And, and our immediate focus is to conclude all those claims. Uh, and when we do, um, that will essentially cover approximately 90% of New Zealand's landmass. When I first read those figures, I thought, God, this is huge. Huge. Um, but that's what they say, and that's what the figures say. Um, and you'll also appreciate that um, the government set a deadline last year as to the filing of historical claims as the 1st of September, and the tribunal received 1,820 mm. uh, claims prior to that deadline. Um, now, we've got to deal with those. And, and what we're attempting to do is to work out which ones will fit into the inquiries and report writing stage and how we should deal with those, the inquiry that is being heard, the Whanganui claim, how we should deal, put those in, in there or, or how we deal with them, and those in preparation. And just from a, a um, initial calculation of those 1,820 claims, it seems that there may be about 60% of those that can be um, taken up with those existing claims, which um, will then leave us with 40% to deal with. Which means five years is fast coming. It's, it's fast coming. <laughs> so we need all hands on deck. We need efficient operators. Um, and, and, and I guess my aim and desire now is to ensure that the tribunal is focused to attempt to get there. Um, OTS, as I understand it, are preparing a roadmap. That's map. the Office of Treaty Settlements. Yes. A roadmap um, as a way forward to the 2014 deadline, uh, which will come out, as I understand it, by the end of this year, by probably December of this year. Now, as far as possible, I would think we should try and align with that, um, as well about as well as going about our day-to-day business. Um, but we're focused. We're determined to to achieve what we can realistically achieve. There's always the question of resources, um, which we have to take into account, and and hopefully we'll we'll get there in the most fair and efficient manner. <laughs> I'm Maria Rakraku, this is Te Ahika, and I'm talking with the Chairperson of the Waitangi Tribunal and Chief Judge of the Māori Land Court, Wilson Isaac. So it's highly likely you're going to be the very last 
Waitangi Tribunal chairperson? Oh, no, poss- possibly not. Uh, as I say, my, my tenure is for five years. Um, but if we're looking at that 2014 deadline? Well, that's not, that's not saying that the tribunal's going to go up and smoke as at 2014. I mean, we're going to have to... Um, we, we, we mightn't get all the work done. Um, so we're going to have to conclude uh, those claims. Um, but we're certainly focused on on trying to do as much as we can. Why is it that the general New Zealand public have this whole image of the Waitangi Tribunal as assisting Māori to become more privileged than any other pe- any other groups in Aotearoa? Given you know the mm. amount of work, the research, all the time and money that's spent supporting the tribunal and the work that they do. I, I don't know. It's probably a lack of education, a lack of knowledge, um, a lack of, as you put it, the general public not attending uh, tribunal hearings, tribunal inquiries. Um, I know the inquiries that I've dealt with, Mohaka Ki Ahuriri, uh, the Northern South Island Inquiry and the National Park Inquiry, um, we have had and invited and put notices in the paper to try and get the general public there, as in, I guess, Pākehā New Zealand, to come along. Which is the standard process for yep. all tribunal hearings, Nera. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those that have come have often expressed yeah, awe at, at how the process works, at the fairness of the process, the fact that we are not the Crown, we are an independent commission of inquiry, uh, looking at grievances or claims against the Crown by Māori. And the way the tribunal is set up is to ensure that there's a fair balance of people on that tribunal. For example, you know, a presiding officer, normally a judge of the Māori land court, sometimes Māori, sometimes not. We normally have um, a balance of genders, a balance of races, mm. a balance of skills, so that um, it's not only looks to be fair, but it is fair. And, and, and claims are looked at in the most um, fair manner to ensure that all the rules of natural justice are complied with. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, trend, it's a relatively, you know, having been involved in the Uruwera claim it's a relatively transparent process that's a totally transparent mm. process and um, and and I guess the, the sad fact is that people may choose not to be engaged or just think that it's a part of their of, of New Zealand society that they don't want to know about I don't know and then there's the perception that lawyers are the only uh, just the fat cats <laughs> licking off the cream or well, maybe maybe that <laughs> might be the perception. But largely, I mean, the, I'm certainly not going out in defence of lawyers or, or not, but um, they're there to do a job. And, um, and I guess it's the, it's the tribunal's um, duty and obligation to ensure that they're kept on track um, and to ensure that um, the process is done as efficiently as possible to honour the, the claims and the grievances that have been put before us. Um, and that's that's what we try and achieve. Mm. Have you ever felt compromised in terms of your taha Māori? No. 
I, I, I haven't. I, I, no. Don't know whether I need to take that any further. I haven't felt compromised. So going back through, when you were going through law school, have you, over the years, seen many of your colleagues in different roles in the legal system? Uh, your fellow students. Yep. Uh, absolutely. I, um, you know, we've all gone in, in different directions. Uh, uh, when I when I started law school, or when I started university, I had no um, aspirations of being a multilingual judge. Um, and when I was in, in practice in Gisborne, uh, I was asked by by the then Deputy Chief Judge, who was a former partner of mine, um, Ashley George McHugh, known as Chick McHugh, whether I would consider being a Māori language judge. And that was... Ooh, I became a judge in 1994. That would have been at least four years before becoming a judge. And at the time, um, we were having a few issues in our in our firm and I, I decided to stay there. Uh, perhaps I shouldn't have, but... I made that I made that decision. Um, yeah, but but certainly a number of of classmates, uh, a number of people I went through university with have been very successful uh, and have achieved what they have wanted to achieve in in all areas of their life. You know, farmers, um, sports people, lawyers, um, many of whom are now judges. Uh, so. Chief Judge Wilson Isaac, were you the first one in your whānau to go to law school? Yes. So as the first person in your whānau to go through law school, have you then paved the way for the rest of your family? My immediate family, I, I make it very clear to them that um, I, I would like them to do what they want to do. I don't want to push them in any direction. My eldest son, he's uh, he started off in, in doing law in, in Canterbury and got into law school and then decided it was not for him and now he's uh, essentially a hunter. So, um, <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> so I, I might boys have, on the horse <laughs> I might have taught him too well. <laughs> uh, to follow his own path. <laughs> well, I don't know, to follow my path as a, as a hunter in my earlier days. Um, but no, I, I have... I I don't want to pave the path for anyone. I mean, people follow their own destinies mm. um, and their own aspirations and desires. And uh, if they want to do law, they'll do law. At your swearing-in, at your marae at Pākerekere, yep. uh, the Minister of Māori Affairs, Peter Sharples, he said that the wide connections that you have into different iwi would serve you well in your role as a Māori Land Court judge. Could you explain that? I presume he meant that uh, my connections, in terms of my family connections, Ngāti Pro, Tūhoi and Kahunanu, extend across a wide area, um, but also uh, my connections working where I have worked in terms of my Waitangi Tribunal claims that I presided over, which were in the northern South Island, the National Park, and, and Mohaka Kiahuriri, uh, covered a, a wide variety of iwi and hapu, and also, as a judge, we travel extensively. So we work closely with many areas um, on the Māori Appellate Court. We can go to any part of the country. We get 
knowledge of and and get to know um, a lot of people, a lot of people in a lot of areas. And yeah. you get to know all the people generationally, Toei, through the surnames. Yep, if we stay long enough. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever? I mean, does the responsibility of what you do weigh heavily upon you? <laughs> sometimes it does. Uh, sometimes, I mean, it's like any job. You have some good and bad days. Sometimes matters are urgent and need to be dealt with before they're being dealt with. Other times things are done in a methodical and organised fashion. But it's like any job, as I say, you, you have good days and bad. And it's just a matter of, in my view, being organised and being ready to cope with what, whatever comes in front of you. Could you see yourself going back to being a school teacher? Which I've never is what been you a school initially teacher. wanted to do? <laughs> well, actually, I, when I say I've never been a school teacher, I used to help out as a, a teacher's aide and, and um, relieve occasionally at schools, which I, which I enjoyed. Uh, no, I can never see myself doing that. I can see myself as a, as a, as a farmer, um, yeah, living back, back on the land, back up home. Uh, or as a as a uh, as a hunter again, which I, I still enjoy doing. I still um, as often Can't as I can. Still I still I'm pigs. still out on a horse um, hunting pigs and deer. You know, my father. I said to him, "You know, Dad, um, how come you don't go hunting anymore?" And he said to me, "Oh, I just don't like being cold." <laughs> he just comes to walk faster. Yeah, <laughs> and he just said he just couldn't stand being cold anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and having wet feet. Yeah, no, no, we we still go out at home a lot. And, I mean, we're privileged to be able, well, I'm privileged to be able to uh, to go from hmm. the urban jungle back to relative peace and, um, and tranquility on the edge of the bush. Hemihiatsu um Chief Judge Wilson Isaac. <laughs> Kia ora.